This is Anchors, Freaks, and Dreams. I'm your host, Matt Perdue. Welcome back, guys. This is Anchors, Freaks, and Dreams podcast, where we discuss all things change. We are currently in a three-part series at the very end of how exercise affects the body. And we're just kind of delving into the science of body change. Because I I like to focus on all things change. Anytime you're trying to change something about your life for the better or accomplish a, a dream or a goal or a passion, that's just cool to me. And given the state of our society where we have that option, then I think that it's almost like a divine unction within us to be self-actualized by uh, accomplishment and creative pursuits and mastery. I mean, that's deep and complex as it is. And I could quickly get off into the weeds if I, if, um, <laughs> if I wanted to, but I'm going to try and stick to the science, the biology, the physiology, the exercise physiology. I broke this up, the series up into the, what are the reasons that people work out? Why do people even exercise at all? And I came up with three main reasons. One is health. The other is fitness. It could be fitness or function, but I just call it fitness. And then the third one is for cosmetic reasons, aesthetic reasons. And what I want to, I want to even be kind of more refined with this because there are a lot of things about the way we look, the aesthetic cosmetic aspects of our body that exercise has no direct control over like whether or not we can regrow hair or make our hair better looking or better skin complexion or whiter teeth or straighter teeth. All these things that we would consider things that are aspects of say beauty or um, anything that's aesthetically positive, I guess. And so what we want to talk about is how does exercise affect what part of of cosmetic change, and that would be body composition, specifically muscular development and fat loss. And that's what people are usually going for. I guess if you lived in maybe the Middle Ages um, or in a third world country, maybe fat gain would be considered a positive. Uh, But in our society, it's usually one thing. I want to look lean and toned, and that would be fat loss and... Uh, muscle muscle development. So we want to talk about that. How does exercise affect that aspect of our body? Well, we talked about health and health is more of a, I guess, a long game. It's how can you consistently and therapeutically stem the tide of inflammation in your body over years and years and years, and it affects your health that way. It's very difficult um, if your doctor gives you a negative diagnosis to come in and have exercise change anything about that. In fact, that would be probably contraindicated for most acute illnesses, exercise. But if you're looking at it, prevention, then it's it's beautiful for it. Now, fitness, it's very direct. Everything is said principle. The specific adaptation to the imposed demand and your body will directly adapt to the demand that's placed upon it. And fitness is, uh, is, is a special niche because 
when if you listen to the last podcast we talked about because 90% of change is neural when we're looking for function or fitness whether it is getting in better shape our cardiovascular whether or not it's getting stronger whether it's getting more flexible those sorts of things are our our nervous system adaptations and we talked about why that is and how that is how it can appear that you're in better shape but it's really not that you're necessarily in better shape as much as it is that your body has become much more efficient at a certain movement and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a cross a cross path or um, adaptation so if I started riding this exercise bike then it wouldn't make me faster in the pool or in better shape in the pool now if I rode the bike for several years then yeah it would have a effect because it would have an opportunity to actually change the the shape of my heart, um, the vascularization of my body, or my, my mitochondrial density, those sorts of things that would actually take years and years to develop. And so that's why when we talk about cosmetic change, we're getting to very complex things, our body processes. And we use the lighthouse example that our body doesn't want to build new lighthouses when it can just update the current one. And in the same way, our body doesn't necessarily want to build muscle tissue when it can just make our current muscle more powerful or stronger. And so this is the fundamental concept that we need to understand when it comes to our bodies. Our bodies don't care about what we care about. It doesn't have any clue where we fall in the social strata or the relationship we're in or how beautiful we are or the car we drive or the job we have. And in fact, it doesn't really care. Anything too extreme is probably not good to the body. All it wants to do is give us a, is just survive. It wants to give us a really stiff fear response. That means that we avoid stupid things. So, you know, we can all be happy that adolescent boyhood is a very short phase of life. And so, therefore, we actually have adult men. Otherwise, we wouldn't. The other thing it does is that it gives us a really quick response in in an urgent situation. And just like in the last example, in the last podcast, where if you had um, a mother that responded quickly and pulled a car off of her child, it was a very explosive response. And that's part of the survival uh, fear response. The other one is that it tries to make our body um, as efficient as possible so that if it's producing too much of one chemical, it'll set a feedback response so that it's more homeostatic, that it's balanced and it doesn't produce too many chemicals that's unnecessary because it wants to preserve as much energy as possible. The fact is that it takes decades to die of metabolic syndrome, that is eating too much, unless you have some type of genetic predisposition for something, but it, um, it can take a matter of weeks where you would die in a famine. And so survival is the main issue, not anything else. And so when I talk about the body's efficiency, think about it this way. In the last one, I mentioned that we are warm blooded animals. And so therefore our body has to maintain around a temperature of 98.6 degrees. That's, it, it 78.6 degrees would be much different because you know our ambient body 
Um, our air temperature is much closer to that than 98.6 degrees. I mean, there's very few pl places in the world that, uh, you know, are, are rolling 100 degree um, day and nights. Uh, actually, there's nowhere unless you live in a geothermal cave. <laughs> All right, I'll move this along. The point is, is that um, our body has to use tremendous amount of energy just to maintain our basal, basal metabolic rate, a thermogenesis. And it's a basic pro processes such as our circulation and digestion. But here's the thing. If we give it a surplus of food or energy over a consistent amount of time, it doesn't have any problem building an extra lighthouse. But if you don't give it the right demand or stimulus, then it's not going to build a lighthouse. It's just going to build a big sand dune. Because it's going to do something with the extra you give it. So now what we want to figure out is how do we address the fact that we're trying to develop our muscles but also lose body fat at the same time? Those things are actually working in opposite directions because one contends that we have a negative intake of energy and the other says we need a surplus. So let's start with this. If you're trying to lose weight, exercise is not the most effective path. What you put in your body is what matters. And having a reduction of what you're eating and drinking is what's going to help you lose weight. That's empirically across the board proven time and time again that exercise has very small effect on losing weight. Now, once you reach your goal and have dropped a certain body weight, exercise has a tremendous effect at keeping you from putting the weight back on. And I think that by the end of this podcast, it'll be obvious why that is. So let's start with this. Our body has three energy cycles. And if you look in a textbook, this is what it's going to say. You have our systems, energy systems, excuse me. The ATP that is adenosine triphosphate. And all ATP is, is that it's a chemical that our muscles need to contract. And if we don't have that, then that means that our, we're dead. <laughs> and that's why people go, a, uh, the, a, a an animal will go into rigor mortis after death because the ATP doesn't replenish and it stays stiff and um, in, in full contraction until the ATP is gone and then it relaxes. Then there's the glycolytic and then the oxidative. But for this, the purposes of this podcast, just understand that our muscles always need ATP to produce a muscle contraction or to our heart to beat. And it's got to come from some other energy storage in our body. And that's going to either be one of two uh, forms it's going to be body fat or glycogen and we could get into the the sub energy uh, products uh, like lactate and glucose and that sort of thing but just think of it as far as energy storage is concerned it's mainly glycogen and that's going to be stored in the muscles and the liver um, and maybe the body tissues and then body fat which could be stored about anywhere in the body and if we have two energy systems that I want you guys to focus on, one is aerobic and one is anaerobic. And that's the style of exercise that you would do or activity. Aerobic simply means with oxygen, and that's going to be exercise that you can 
you can do you know for a prolonged amount of time in other words you can have a conversation while you do it anaerobic is when you get into you're going so fast at such a fast pace that your breathing can't keep up now understand these aren't two um, separate types of exercise in other words they're not binary like you flip a switch and you're anaerobic and you flip a different switch and you're an anaerobic this is just look at it as a spectrum or a continuum on one end that's fully aerobic it means that you can do it indefinitely and on the other end is that you're in a dead sprint with um you know a, a rabid dog chasing you and you're going as fast as you possibly can and that's going to be completely anaerobic so what is, what's the point of anaerobic versus aerobic well that's going to go into like what type of exercise you do when you actually go to the gym and the classic view is to look at it from the point of, well, I've got a lot of body fat and I want to burn it. So what exercise burns the most body fat? And that is the question you heard 80s and 90s. I mean, it's still a question you hear. What exercise burns the most body fat? And the concept is, is that, well, we want an exercise that we can get into the aerobic energy system so that we're burning the maximal amount of body fat possible. But if we do sprints or something like that, then we're burning all glycogen and we're burning no body fat. And so they came up with something back in the 80s called the fat burn zone. And every cardio room, in fact, you can still see them today. They would have had a, a chart on the wall that showed you how to check your heart rate and then find out what your estimated maximum heart rate is. And then what percentage of that max heart rate do you want to exercise at? So if you're exercising, you want to check your heart rate and you want to stay within a certain zone that puts you in the fat burn zone. If you went above it, you would get into what they would call the cardiovascular conditioning zone. But if you wanted to burn fat, you needed to be in this, well, 50 to 70 percent of your maximum heart rate. And so it's a it's a slow enough to keep you in the aerobic zone. And so the, what is the concept? Well, the, the thing is, is that. If I am walking on a treadmill at one mile per hour, well, then I'm burning more body fat than I am if I'm at 60% of my maximum heart rate, but the percentage wise. But the problem is the total volume of, of calories that I'm burning is just barely more than watching TV. So it's don't waste your time. You want to go as fast as you possibly can without getting into an anaerobic state. Because, again, if you're an oxidative or if you're an aerobic, then you can burn more body fat. But here's the problem. It doesn't really turn out like the mathematical chemistry. Just because you're in aerobic or an oxidative um, energy system doesn't mean that you're capitalizing on that much body fat. In fact, I was reading an article one time and it was a scientist who works in a, a clinical lab where they can put you in a chamber in a room and measure the amount of oxygen that you're breathing in and the amount of carbon dioxide that you're breathing out. And through the, the, the ratio of that, they can determine how much glycogen you're burning versus how much body fat you're burning. And when they got people on a treadmill in these rooms, they, they realized that unless you were in excellent shape, like you were a, a a pretty consistent biker or jogger or cross country skier, then the amount of fat that you burned in the fat burn zone wasn't even that much. 
In fact, they said that uh, it says 0.1 to 0.4 grams of fat per minute. I'm like, well, I don't know what that means, man. I don't even know what a gram is. Well, to put it in perspective, there are 454 grams in a pound. So if you want to burn a pound of fat and you're going at a rate of 0.1 to 0.4 grams per minute, that would be, if you did it for an hour, 6 to 24 grams of fat in an hour. And so that's like, even the maximum is 5% of a pound in an hour. That's not much. And that's in the fat burn zone. How does that work? Well, let me pose this. Maybe what we should be thinking about coming from an exercise physiology point of view is not the source of the energy that we can tap into when we exercise, but the type of exercise which requires an adaptation of our body to store energy in a specific place when we eat. So let me give you this concept. The safari and the drag race, two different vehicles for two different functions. What type of vehicle do you want in a safari? Well, the question is, Matt, what, what's the demand of a safari? Well, safari is classically going to be a, a long term, maybe weeks, maybe months, going through the, you know, the wilderness of the bush of Africa. And you're going to be out in risky situations for long periods of time. So the main thing is, is you want your engine to be reliable and you also don't want it to be too big because you don't want it to be too, um, too much of a gas hog. And then you also need to bring a bunch of extra gas tanks to fill up when you have the opportunity to get gas because you'll be out in the wilderness. You're not going to have any gas stations. So that's the, t- and then you want a vehicle that um, is uh, light and agile. You don't need a big, heavy, cumbersome vehicle. All right. And then now on the flip side, if you're in a drag race, what type of vehicle do you need? Well, what's the demand of a drag race? It's like a few seconds, full sprint. Well, then I need a vehicle with a small frame as possible because I need it to be light, but I need a big engine as possible. So I just need a frame that's just large enough to house this engine and be able to handle the tension that it can produce, the amount of torque and force that it can produce. And then I'll need maybe some big wheels to, you know, grab the ground. But then, you know, have you ever seen a drag racing vehicle? They don't even look like vehicles. They look like spaceships or like the, the head of some, you know, egret or crane or duck or something where it's got big huge tires big engine with these tailpipes that shoot fire out of them make loud noises and then this long i don't know what you call it looks like a sled with two tiny wheels in the front and it's just so it's got to be long like that because if it wasn't the 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 vehicle would immediately do a backflip off when the, the when the green light went up So it's got to have this long front end so it doesn't flip. All right, so what are the concepts here? The Safari needs a small gas tank, a small durable frame. Um, I mean, no, a lot of gas tanks, a small durable engine, and a small frame. 
And then the drag race needs a large engine, a frame that's just large enough to handle the power and a small gas tank. Doesn't want not you don't want a big gas tank because it's just that's not the demand. All right, so now let's look in human biology terms. You have a marathoner and a sprinter. Well, this is just like the safari and the drag race. What is the what does a marathoner's body look like? Well, right, small engine. It's got um, skinny arms and skinny legs, lean midsection. And if you're a world class marathoner, you got a skeletal face. <laughs> if you're a world class a marathoner, you can probably run a sub two and a half hour marathon. That's in absolutely incredible. That most people, I've never run a marathon. I've done a half marathon a couple times, and it took me three hours. I can't imagine running for six hours. That's just insane. But they can do it in two and a half hours. All right. And um, yeah, small engine, small, skinny muscles, and just lean. And then you have a sprinter. Well, they have lean arms and legs, but they're not skinny. They're very muscular. And then their midsection, oh my gosh, it's so lean that if you, especially those world-class guys, you can see their, their individual abdominals underneath their compression suit. Like they're so lean and defined that you can see their abdominal. You can count them. Now, obviously, if they're world-class, it's a little bit of an aberration because they might be on some type of drug. But again, you got to assume it's across the board. The, you got to assume that the not just the sprinters are using them, the milers are using them, and the marathoners are using them if there's a technical advantage. And so, therefore, the you can tell that their a actual training is going to induce a certain type of body, just like the drag racer. Big engine, smallest frame as possible, and no gas tanks. Gas tank for the human would be body fat. Well, the... Obviously, the, the marathoner is not going to have a lot of body fat simply because of the energy it consumes is so tremendous that it can't. So what does this mean for us in our training? Well, the, by now, the assumption is, is that there's a, if you want to look like a marathoner, then that's fine. If you just want to be skinny, then, then fine. That would, be, that would be great. Just go out and do long, slow duration type of training. And you'll get the that that look. But if you did want muscle development, then it's kind of contraindicated to actually go out there and, and do just a lot of a low intensity exercise for long periods of time. So coming back to my posit earlier, maybe the focus should not be on the energy source that we can pull from in our body when we exercise but it should be how the exercise tells our body to store the food that we eat. And that's why there may not be a huge effect on exercise and losing weight, but once you hit your goal, then it has a tremendous effect on keeping you at your goal because you're training your body to take the food that you eat and not store it as body fat, but to store it as muscle glycogen. And, that's what that's what most muscle development is in the beginning. And this is going to be a separate podcast for the future.
Um, but what muscle, when people put on muscle, like I put on, I said 10 pounds of muscle in 10 days back when I was in college. Well, sure. It looked like I did. It looked like I was taking steroids. I swelled up and I had this huge pump and I all wanted to do was like look in the mirror and flex. But the problem was, is that when I went back to eating normal, I just shrunk really quickly. My muscles just deflated like a balloon. It's because it wasn't actual true muscle. It was just a, it's a storage unit, like a gas tank. Well, is my gas tank in my muscle or is my gas tank on my belly? And that's the issue with exercise. And that's why it's effective at keeping us at our goal weight once we've lost weights and, and keeping us from putting on a weight that we lost. All right, let me see if I want to say anything else here. Again, this is like the whole you do you thing. If you just want to be skinny, that's what your goal is. I, I'm agnostic about the whole thing. I, I don't care. I just want you to, to be, I want you to be happy. I want you to be self-actualized. I want you to be able to achieve the change that you want and that you can be master of your life and not have something master you. That's the way I think. But if you want the classic lean tone look, then you're going to need to be able to preserve that muscle mass as much as possible, especially in a body composition form, meaning that what is the ratio of muscle to uh, muscle weight to fat mass in your body. And the best way to do that is to do high intensity exercise. Now I use the example of sprinting, but think about this way, a drag race engine is powerful. And if it, if, it, if it was put inside of a bus, the bus would still move fast, even though it's moving a tremendous amount of weight. But think about this. Let's, put, let's say you put it on a bulldozer. Well, you've got to have a tremendous engine in the bulldozer too. But you're just moving heavy weight. And that's the thing, the way the body works, that speed and power are the same thing. You have a weight lifter in the Olympics, and he's got to lift 400 kilograms over his head well he's doing it fast but not as fast as a major league baseball pitches a ball i mean that's 61 feet almost in i don't even know what is it um three tenths of a second or something weird like that it's moving in 100 miles an hour almost the ball the ball's four ounces though and the, the, the weights are 400 kilograms. So that's the only difference. Both are trying to produce the maximum amount of force is, that they can. And if there's no load, it introduces itself as speed. And if there's a heavy load, it introduces itself as power. And so when you're working for, with weights or when you're sprinting, you're kind of working the same system in your body. And if you want to develop muscle, then that's the, the, the actual direction you need to go with your training. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed this one. This wraps up our series on how exercise affects the body. Um, if you want more of it, let me know. But um, we're going to go back to dealing with 